Every year, we're pulled back into the narrative of the last couple days of Jesus' life, right? It's easy when you see something like that to find yourself, your blood starts to boil a little bit. You start to get a little ticked off. You think about the different levels of disdain that we have throughout the whole narrative, whether it's, it's Judas who betrayed him, Peter last week who we talked about who denied him, the chief priest that we see even there that absolutely despised him, Herod who mocked him, the people who shouted crucify him, Pilate who wanted to appease the crowd and decided to wash his hands of it trying to avoid responsibility, and even that crazy looking dirty guy, Barabbas, who is completely guilty but gets off scot-free. I would encourage us, rather than just getting ticked off, start to look at some of those different characters. Wrestle through and say, which one of them am I? Last week we wrestled through it with Peter, thinking, wait, how do, how do I deny Christ with my actions? Think about Pilate. How do I cower in fear and through my silence betray Jesus Christ? I think the narrative comes way more to life when you start to adopt the different characters and wrestle, which one am I? My question this morning is, am I Barabbas? Am I Barabbas? The guilty man who gets set free. The sinner that's released to a new life, freedom, and substituted by the innocent. The God of the universe, God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father. Am I Barabbas? Let me pray for us before we dive in. God, I thank you for this story that you chose to give all the details. You chose to point out all the characters. And here, as we see in the text, another dark and gruesome character we're forced to wrestle ourselves with, who am I in this? Am I this character? God, I pray that you'd speak to us this morning, that you'd meet us where we're at, that you'd be active and moving in this room. God, we invite you here now. In Jesus Christ's name I pray, amen. Well, if you wouldn't mind turning with me, we're gonna be looking, as you've probably guessed, at the story of Barabbas. We actually touched on the triumphal entry or Palm Sunday back in the fall in chapter 11 in the book of Mark. So now we're gonna be in the book of Mark in chapter 15, starting in verse six this morning. Each of the gospels has this account of Barabbas, and this one is gonna be mostly focused in the book of Mark here this morning if you've noticed, my voice is a little raspy, so this isn't a prop. This is actually to help me this morning, so let me do that as I drip. So if you wouldn't mind reading with me, it helps if you're looking at the same text. Mark 15, verse 6, says this. Now at the feast, he used to release for them, he meaning Pilate, release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, <clears throat> there was a man called Barabbas. Let's stop there and break that down a little bit. First thing that you see in this text, I don't know if you're like me, when you read this, 
it seems a little bit like the account of Barabbas is a little bit of a random interruption in the story of Christ. You're like, who is this guy and how does he relate to the story of Christ? We don't know much about him other than the fact that he's a murderer, which is a pretty big deal in that day and age. When someone's murdered someone, they're destined to die. John refers to him as a robber. Matthew 27, 16 also refers to him, but refers to him as a notorious prisoner. So he'd be pretty well known as a prisoner in that day. Even here in this section, we notice that it describes him as being part of an insurrection. What is an insurrection? An insurrection, as you know, at that time they're under Roman rule, and that would have been a revolt against the Roman forces at that time. So he was part of that. And even in the text, you notice, it says, and among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, you have to assume that this was not a little deal. The insurrection, if the, if the author, Mark, is knowing that just by saying the insurrection, that they would all know what he's talking about, it means that it must have been a pretty big deal, I imagine. Basically, a man lacking hope. Basically, a man sitting in prison, counting down the days, counting down the hours, until his death. Can you imagine that existence? How time would pass? All right, another day closer, another, day, another hour closer. It was basically, as in the movie that we've seen, a dead man walking, walking, just counting down the hours. One observation that you might not first pick up from the text is the meaning of his name. In our day and age, what somebody's name means is really not that big of a deal. But as we know, if you've studied scripture at all, it was a pretty big deal back then what somebody's name actually meant. I don't know if you've ever taken the time to explore what your name means. Have you ever done that? Have you ever Googled it? Looked it up? Anybody can tell me what their name means? Okay, nobody here knows what their name means. I grew up, and my mom had this, these plaques on her like little hallway, and it had it, did you guys have these, with your name and then the, what your name actually meant? Maybe I'm the only nerd that had that. Uh, but next to mine, it was Scott, and it meant loyal. I was like, all right, that's beautiful. And I, I was looking it up this week on, online, and I couldn't find anything that said that Scott means loyal. So I'm not really sure where, where that went. In fact, I dug in a little bit, and, um, and it's actually, you can guess what uh, roots it would have. Scott would be from Scotland, so Scottish descent. Uh, not necessarily, I'm kind of a mutt. But, um, but Scottish descent, the name. And I was looking into the name, what Scott actually means, and I was pretty happy with what I discovered. It actually means painted warrior. Huh? Huh? So a little bit of Braveheart there I'm picturing. Painted Warrior, a little Mel Gibson with less hair. Um, so Painted Warrior. So the name, obviously, mine obviously isn't relevant, but in that day and age, it meant a lot. So let's break down his name. What does Bar, uh, Barabbas actually mean? How many of you have ever been to a Bar Mitzvah? Bar Mitzvah. So some people have attended a Bar Mitzvah. Bar means son of, son of. So son of, mitzvah means commandment. So a bar mitzvah is when someone passes from being a boy to being a son of the commandments. 
Prior to age 12 or 13 when this happens, so a boy in the Jewish culture is not considered responsible for keeping the law. He's encouraged to follow it, but not held until that age to be responsible for it. To me, I think like that's a pretty scary graduation. All of a sudden, I'm accountable for following the law. So that's a bar mitzvah, so son of the law. So we've got the first part, bar, and so Abba, Abbas, Abba, anybody have a guess what Abba might mean? Father, good job, nice job. So son of the father, son of the father. Who else in scripture do we know of that's referred to as son of the father? Jesus Christ often referred to himself as son of the father. So basically we're seeing here, even in his name, that there's an exchange that's about to go down, the exchange of the son of the father for another son of the father. Pretty powerful picture, part of God's perfect plan, the innocent about to be substituted for the guilty. So Pilate holds two men in his hands right now, and he's interesting to me, he's allowing the people to decide whether or not he is guilty or not. Like, what law system has that set up? Scary to think if popular opinion were to determine someone's innocence or guilt. Just a few days earlier, as we saw here, they're waving palms and singing his praise. Now what are they shouting? Crucify him. Popular opinion being the governance model. Let's see the choice that they have in verse 8. So then the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And he answered them saying, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priests had been delivered or had delivered him up. Let's stop there and think about that for a moment. This wasn't an unusual thing. That was part of their culture, a tradition at Passover that every year they would have the option to appeal to Pilate to have somebody set free. So that was the, the one hope that a prisoner might possibly have that was headed to a death sentence. So Pilate stands on this audacious stage with Jesus son of the father versus Barabbas, a thug and a rebel, and letting the people decide who they wanted to set free. You think about that. You think about how crazy, how ridiculous. Barabbas deserved everything that was coming to him. He was fully guilty. Everybody knew what he had done. They were aware of his crimes. But think about what Jesus did. What had Jesus actually done? Oh, yeah, he fed the hungry, healed the, the sick, he brought sight to the blind, he uh, raised the dead back to life. Like, really? Really? You're going you're gonna to put him on the same stand across from Barabbas? That was the choice that was being laid before them. It's interesting if you unpack this a little bit, this is rooted in an Old Testament tradition that was but a part of what God established. You can see in Leviticus 16 some interesting things of how they did animal sacrifices. They would take two identical goats for sacrifice. One of the two goats would be sacrificed for the sin of Israel. The second goat would be taken and the priest 
would pray and commit or, or would post or put on all the sins of the people of Israel on that goat. That goat was known as a scapegoat, where we get the word today. And then that goat was taken out in the wilderness and set free. So still fully with all the sins on it. So this is a picture of the sacrificial system that God had established in the Old Testament. Many would argue that Jesus took both sides of it. He, he took the punishment and carried the sins. But in this case, we don't know that Barabbas ever embraced that forgiveness. So here he's the scapegoat. People had a choice to make. Who would they set free? You think about it, releasing Barabbas had really no implications. It had no impact on the people's lives. If they set him free, they just go back to normal. Maybe they hold onto their, their wallet a little tighter. But, but you know what I mean? It's like no big deal. We set this guy free. He'll probably end up back in prison in a short period of time. But setting Jesus free, the king of the Jews, when someone's king, what does that require of somebody? It requires for you to allow them to play that role in your life. Jesus demands a response simply because of who he is. So they weren't really ready to embrace him. They weren't quite ready to bend a knee and accept him in the place of king in their life. So Jesus was the risky one to actually set free. And really, if you think about it, still today, what's the number one reason that people aren't really ready to, to turn over their life to Christ? Because why? Hey, that means I don't get to lead it anymore. That means that I need to submit to his will and not my wishes. I don't want to let go of my control of my life, right? I'm not ready to do that. I'm not ready to turn that over. We've done for years and years different street evangelism outreach things, and it's so interesting in conversations with people on the street just talking to them how many times it comes down to that exact equation. I don't want to give up. I don't want to give up my reign and my title in my life. And that's what they were forced with, the same choice that people still have today. I want to do what I want to do. The decision that they made, you see in verse 11, says, but the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. And Pilate again said to them, then what shall I do with the man you call king of the Jews. And they cried out again, crucify him. And Pilate said to him, why, what evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, crucify him. Chronologically, Jesus had already been scourged before he was even brought before the people. You think about that as probably part of Pilate's strategy of exposing to them, saying, listen, this guy's been beat really good. Have some, give this guy some break. You think about the scourging process, and if you've seen The Passion of the Christ, it's a pretty powerful scene, one of those ones that you're like almost wish you couldn't have in the back of your head. Basically, the, the scourging process had a whip with a three-foot-long, a number of three-foot-long leather bands, and at the end of those was pieces of bone and, and, and metal that was literally used to go across the back and rip out skin, across the back Whip out, rip out skin. They had a maximum of amount of times that you could be scourged was, how many, does anybody know this? 39 times, because they, they had found that number 40 usually pushed somebody from death 
I mean, from life to death. So just crazy to think of Jesus Christ there. Usually at the end of a scourge, and you literally are seeing organs so much damage have been caused to somebody. So Jesus is there on the stage, and he's saying, Really? Really, this man, you see him as a, as a threat to you? Haven't I inflicted enough damage to you? But you see, the, the unfortunate truth is their lust for, for injury and pain and their lust for and their hatred against him was not satisfied. They keep crying, crucify him. Pilate tries another approach. He says, listen, I'll give you, I can either set him free or the worst possible criminal I can think of, Barabbas, like thinking that's a no-brainer. At least maybe logic will start to break through into the scenario and you'll make a right choice. But no, what happens? No longer are they trying to make an appeal. What does Pilate say? He says, but what has he done? Nobody tries anymore to give any arguments about what he's done. They just start shouting all the more, crucify him, crucify him. You see, their choice had already been made. They'd already made the choice. It just needed to play itself out. The hate that they had was all-consuming. Their logic was gone. Their logic was gone. Now it's just shouting. We see how the story continues in verse 15. Point this, I call this the connection where we see the parallel to ourselves. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas. And having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Picture this. We saw that in that first scene at the beginning, Barabbas. And, and actually, a lot of times in, in Hollywood, you're like, ah, that doesn't really capture it. In my mind of what I think of Barabbas, like that, that character there, that paints the picture perfectly. I mean, like total creep guy. He's got his tongue sticking out, just the, the, wor- the, the worst of all sinners. It's kind of funny, though, in our own lives, if we're not careful, we can, the truth is we can choose to elevate one person's sin over another, right? We can think of like, ah, that guy was so messed up and be completely blinded to a simple truth that, wait a second, in this story, I'm Barabbas. You're Barabbas. We're the guilty ones. We're the ones that were set free. We're the ones that he hung on a cross for. I like this quote as to why God would do this to his son. Jesus knew that the father would have to treat Jesus like Barabbas so that he could treat Barabbas like Jesus. Love that. Judah Smith. I think about that, in that, that thought that it was driven by a crazy, audacious love for us. Why would he do that? He knew that most likely he would never turn and acknowledge that, thank you, you don't even see any degree of appreciation from Barabbas. Like if you're set free, you're like, whoa, thank you. But in this scenario, not really the case because that's how extreme of a love our God has for us. God loved Barabbas and wanted him to go free. God loved you and wanted you to go free. He couldn't picture, he couldn't imagine seeing you bear the weight of your sins on the cross. Couldn't imagine you taking the 39 lashes. Couldn't imagine seeing you hung on the cross. He bore the weight on our behalf. My best friend, his name's Joe Basil, and he's, he's actually spoken here before. He's a pastor up in Fresno. 
And uh, this past week, we went to our denominations conference in Phoenix. So he was along on that trip with me. We were talking, we were reminiscing about some of the old days a little bit. And we grew up in a neighborhood outside of uh, Chicago called Melrose Park, which was an all-Italian neighborhood. I refer to that as when I used to be Italian. And... um, but, uh, but growing up there, he grew up in a pretty large family. He had two brothers. He had a brother named Vince and another brother named Vito. And they were kind of known, which, is that fitting or what? <laughs> Joe, Vince, and Vito. Um, and so uh, every stereotype met in one uh, line of names. But, he, um, but they were known, Vince and Vito especially, his older brothers were known for just always getting in fights and just kind of pretty rough guys and kind of actually not just defending themselves but actually pursuing fights. Well, one, one uh, afternoon or evening, they were in a really fine establishment we call White Castle uh, back in the Midwest. And they were having uh, some really deluxe burgers there. And uh, some of you don't know what White Castle is. Uh, not a very good burger place. They, they end up getting a, in a fight, Vince and Vito, with a couple guys that were there, literally in the, in the restaurant, getting a full-blown fight. And as the fight, it started kind of with some shoving. It escalated from what Joe describes and Vito ended up actually sending somebody's guy, a guy's head through a vending machine. Well, that didn't go very well for him. I'm sorry, that was Vince that actually did that, the older of the two. Vince ended up hitting this guy's head. A guy ends up in intensive care, like it was a life and death situation. Well, it didn't take very long. There wasn't a shortage of witnesses before the knock on the door came, as you'd imagine. And the, the, the thing that they found interesting was that all of the witnesses had seen Vito do it, but it was actually Vince who did it. Vito gets cuffed. He's in there heading, heading off. He's playing through his mind how this is going to play out for attempted murder. And what does he choose to do? He chooses to take, take the punishment. He says, I'm going in. Served five years in prison for that offense. Five years for his brother, he couldn't imagine his older brother having experienced prison. Vito had already been to prison for some short spells in the past. He couldn't imagine his brother having to go through what he had already been through. So he carried the load of that. Five years. How crazy is that? Someone taking one person's offense and putting it on their back. It's a beautiful picture of a crazy kind of love. In a parallel, obviously, to the same extreme kind of love that Jesus Christ has for each one of us. He couldn't bear for you to carry that weight. So he said, I'm going to do that for you. Even knowing that so many people are going to say, no, thanks, I'm just going to do my own thing. What? Really? That was the choice that he left with Barabbas. We don't know how Barabbas' story ends. It doesn't point to him anywhere else in Scripture other than the fact that he was set free. But this, to me, is a beautiful picture. And the question that begs to be answered I started with is this. Am I Barabbas? Am I Barabbas? Are you Barabbas? I would propose based on this account, the reason it's included in all four Gospels is because it's the perfect picture of our scenario. Ones that were guilty, that were guilty as charged, being being taken out of that scenario and the complete price paid on our behalf. My hope is going into 
this Easter week, two things happen. One, for those of us that have embraced Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, that there's an upper level of magnified, wow, you did that for me? Man, how could you have that kind of crazy love on my behalf? For somebody that's in here that has never bent their knee and embraced Jesus Christ, my hope is this week you're like, wait a second, maybe the logic thing actually starts to kick in. Why haven't I? The God of the universe made the choice to come down, live the perfect life, embrace my sin, take it, carry it on the cross. Why wouldn't I accept that free gift? It would break my heart to think of somebody in this room not embracing that, even going into this season ahead in the next week to two. So I just want to, as the band comes up right now, I just want to give just a couple minutes of silence. For one, for those of you that have enjoyed the sacrifice made on your behalf, that actually are living that, to take a few minutes to just say thank you. And we can get running so hard and so fast that we don't even slow down enough to say thanks. So taking a few minutes just to thank them for that kind of audacious love. For anyone in here that's never made that choice to embrace that free gift, consider this a plead, a plead. Don't leave here even today without getting that solved, without getting that figured out. We'll have some leaders and staff available here at the end of the service. Man, we'd love to talk with you through this, pray with you. This is a day that you can have your eternity redirected. Imagine that. Let me pray for us before a few moments of silence. God, we thank you so much for this powerful picture even as we saw it on the screen there through Hollywood, of you through your silence on that stage saying, I'm going to take this. I'm going to absorb this. I'm going to take the wrath that was intended for us. Thank you, thank you, thank you. In Jesus' name. Well, I pray that that leaves a foundation for us going into this week ahead into Easter, that we'd celebrate that audacious love. Amen. If you've never made that choice to embrace Christ, man, don't walk out of this room here today. We'll have a few leaders here available to talk in the front. God bless you. Have a great week.